We are in a series called uh, Portraits of Grace, and there was a phrase in that song that caught my attention. I don't know that I've ever really caught it, but it said, and gra- in verse two, it says, and grace my fears relieved. And you know, you, you think about that, and it's fitting for the text this morning, uh, because we're going to be in Joshua chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with us, uh, Joshua chapter one. But as you think about uh, all that had happened, you know, this, this, this time we're going to look at today in, in the history of Israel in Joshua chapter 1 uh, is a very pivotal, 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 pivotal time uh, in Israel's history. But it was also a time that was, was, was really filled with fear. Uh, you have their longtime leader, Moses, and you think about Moses, and it was uh, he who God talked to through the burning bush. Uh, Moses was the one that that uh, you know brought in the the ten plagues, and uh, you know that God had sent in to, to set the Israelites free from Egyptian slavery. The ten plagues come that God puts on on the people, and the, uh, Israel is delivered, and then they go out and they wander in the wilderness for forty years, and now they've come to this point where uh, they are getting ready to enter the land that God had promised them. And, and so, but at this, during this whole period of time, you know, there's some uncertainty, there's some fear, there may be even some doubt creeping into the mind of the people because again, their leader has died and now there's this new man, Joshua, kind of coming on the scene and uh, we're gonna see what God uh, does with him and, and how God uses him this morning. But I want you to keep in mind as we, uh, as we pray and as we read uh, God's word this morning, that phrase in that song, Amazing Grace, my by his, uh, great, his grace, my fears relieve. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and such a joy to be back in your house. We're so thankful to be here together, to worship together, Lord. And Father, I always take for granted the, the opportunity and the privilege that we have each week of being able to come together and, and fellowship and worship. Lord, and to, to sing your praises together and study your word together uh, and just be in the presence, not only of one another, but to be in your presence, Lord. And we're so very thankful for the opportunity that we have. Lord, we're thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this church. And Lord, we ask your blessings on it, Father. And as we open up the pages of your word, we're thankful for it and the timelessness of it. Lord, that every time we open the pages of it, we can, we can find something that's applicable to our lives and something that, that can transform us and, and help us be uh, uh, better servants, Lord, and, and better followers of you, Father, and, and, and give us the, the courage, Lord, to, to, to live on mission, the job that you have given us to do, the task that you have have given us to take the gospel uh, into the world in which we live, Lord, making disciples and, and teaching them how to, how to live for you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that, that we, like Joshua, would have, would have courage and faith knowing that you are with us every step of the way, meeting each and every need that we have along the way, Lord, providing for us the things that we need. Lord, we pray for those this morning who, who maybe come here today and, Lord, their, their hearts are heavy, they're burdened. Lord, maybe there's some decisions that need to be made. Maybe there's some, some family members or friends that they're concerned about. Lord, we lift them up in prayer. And, Father, just ask your, your will and way be done in their life, Father, that you would give them strength this morning, give them courage this morning, Lord, to do what you're calling them to do. Father, we're, again, thankful to be here today, and we pray for your, our service this morning, Lord, as we break open your word that you'd be our teacher and our guide through the text. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. Uh, of course, Joshua being a, a book of the Bible that kind of marks uh, Joshua leading God's people and, and God's work in the life of Joshua. But as I mentioned earlier, this, this is a pivotal time in, in Israel's history, and, and they're at this crossroads, and the road ahead really wasn't uh, all that clear. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, you know, we come to times in our lives where we, where we come to crossroads and, and it, it doesn't happen just once. It's not, I wish I could say, you know, we come to one point in our life and it's a crossroads for us. And once we pass that crossroads and we're never going to have another one, but life seems to be a series of crossroads and decisions that you and I have to make. Uh, and, and, and we need to remember that God always knows what's ahead, even if we don't. Even when we don't know what the future holds or, or, or what, what's gonna happen when we take this path, God knows exactly what it is. And so like the Israelites, we simply trust God and we go on with what he tells us to do because God will always make a way. And as we take a closer look this morning at Joshua's story, We'll learn how God gives us grace to go on in our Christian walk, even during times of transition or confusion or opposition. And from Joshua's story, uh, we learn three aspects of God's grace, which we can remember uh, that will give us the strength to go on for him. So if you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses... Uh, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I, I, have, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this uh, Lebanon, as far as the great river to the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, if my uh, sources are correct, we would be somewhere in the neighborhood of God had promised them three, something like 300,000 square miles. That in that phrase, that little verse that God said, I'm giving this land to you, for your possession. Let's keep reading there in verse five. No, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as we kind of look at three aspects of God's grace this morning, uh, I, the first one is this, remember, remember God's calling. I think sometimes when we get in the midst of, of, of life and we get in the midst of, of, of struggles and we get in the midst of hardship, we have a tendency to forget God's calling on our life. And the devil will always try to convince us that we are somehow mistaken about what, the, what God wants us to do. And when those doubts come up, we must refuse to allow ourselves to meditate on them. 
You see, when we, are, when we were saved, or, or when we are saved, God gives us a new purpose for living. Life takes a different path than the one that we were on. Uh, he left, uh, left us on earth to glorify him in this world. We do that by making disciples. God had a calling on Joshua's life, and he has a calling on our life as well. And despite the fact that God has this amazing plan, this calling on for you and for me, we will still endure hardships. That doesn't negate anything, any hardships that we may have. Joshua, the leader of uh, following Moses, was no stranger to these trials. It was a difficult time in the, in, the, in, the, in the lives of the Israelites. You know, Moses had been their leader for 40 years and God had done some amazing things through Moses. And now Joshua, who had witnessed God use Moses in incredible ways, was now finding himself as the man filling Moses' shoes. Imagine how Joshua must have felt as he prepared to fill those shoes. I mean, here was a mighty man of God who did a lot of incredible things, and God used him to do incredible things. And can you imagine the, the thoughts flittering through the head of Joshua, you know, that maybe there was some doubt that he would be the leader that, 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 that Moses was, or that the people would respond to him as Moses did, or that God would be able to use him as God had used Moses but God didn't want Joshua to live in, in, in fear or to feel intimidated by the past or, by, or even to compare himself to Moses. I think it's amazing to me how many times we find just in those, those first nine verses that God tells Joshua to be, to be strong and be courageous and not to fear. He wanted Joshua to go on in confident faith as the next leader of the Israelites. You know, and God wants us to be grateful for the past, but he doesn't want us to live in it. I'm reminded of a couple of passages of scripture. One was when Jesus said, you know, no one puts their hand to the plow and looks back. And then Paul, he makes the comment, he says, you know, I, I, set, I, I forget what lies behind me and I look forward to what, to what lies ahead, pursuing that, that upward call uh, uh, or that upward goal of the call of Christ Jesus in his life. Whether our past holds victory or maybe our past holds defeat, we can't let it determine what our future is going to look like. We must not allow past defeats to keep us in a defeated mindset or allow past victories to convince us that we no longer have to work for any kind of success. We lay aside the past, uh, we lay as, uh, as Joshua learned, and we keep moving forward. And the children of Israel, they found themselves in a, in a situation where they were going to have to say goodbye to a great leader but God provided them with another dedicated man. And God had chosen this man. When God wants to move his agenda forward, he calls out men and women who are his faithful servants. But why did God choose Joshua? I mean, you, you stop and think there were hundreds of thousands of men that God could have chosen to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But what made jo Joshua the guy that God wanted to use? We see Joshua had been quietly and even unknowingly preparing to be the leader long before Moses' death. Joshua had long been dedicated to the, to, the, to the Lord's work. Exodus 17 tells us that Joshua had already been used by God to defeat the Amalekites. And this is key, that God, he had been a, a faithful soldier in the army of God through all these years. And God calls believers who are already serving him. Joshua, if you remember, was one of 12 spies originally sent into the promised land to kind of scope it out. 
And you remember 10 of them spies came back and said, there's no way we can defeat these guys. And it was Joshua and a young man named Caleb that said, listen, God has already delivered them into our hands. All we have to do is go. And at that moment, they let fear take over and they decided not to go. And then they wafted and they decided to go, and, but God wasn't with them and they were defeated. And thus they wind up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God looks for people who are humbly doing their part in service. And this was why God could use Joshua. It's why God chose to use Joshua. He did whatever Moses needed to, to have done. And a true servant's heart is willing to serve in whatever area God opens. And through this difficult transition in Israel's history, God called a dedicated man, a man who, was, who had faith and was a servant. And, and, and God used Joshua for a directed purpose, to take the promised land. He said, I want you, to, if you look at verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. He says, now arise, go over this Jordan, uh, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them. You know, God has also given us marching orders. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, flip open to the book of, of Matthew. If you find Mark, uh, stick around close to Mark because we're gonna be in the last chapter of, of Matthew. But Matthew chapter 28, God in a sense gives us our marching orders. In verse 19 of, of Matthew chapter 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I mean, there's a lot of language there. You know, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Just as he tells Joshua, he communicates that as well to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the earth. Our mission is to take the gospel to those outside the walls of this church to those that we work alongside, to those that we play alongside, to those that we recreate alongside, those that we, just people, our neighbors, those we live beside, to take the gospel. He's given us our marching order. Has, and, and Jesus has ordered us to spread the gospel and to be obedient to the Lord. We must never stop sharing the truth that God has given us to share, that Jesus saves just as Joshua was to claim the land, we're to claim our world for Christ by delivering the gospel. God gave Joshua a clear calling and he obeyed. Matter of fact, if you look down at Joshua chapter one, verse 10, he, he, he's given, you know, God calls Joshua, he's given this command in verse two. In verse 10, we say, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days. You are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. God gave Joshua a clear calling and he obeyed. And are we fulfilling our calling to reach our world for Christ? When was the last time that we shared the gospel or shared our testimony with somebody? If we obey our marching orders, we will see God miraculously demonstrate his grace in every aspect of his calling, in every aspect of, of our lives. And so remember his calling on our lives that we have, you know, we are, we are a, a, a peculiar people, the Bible says. 
We are a chosen people. And he has chosen us as Christians and those who place their faith in him to go and make disciples. That's our calling. That's our mission. But also remember this. You know, sometimes we can think about that and it elicits a, elicits a little bit of fear. Well, what, you know, I don't know that I can do that. I'm not sure. Well, the second thing is important for us to remember this morning. One is remember God's calling, but two, remember God's provision. Have you ever wondered, how can I do what God wants me to do? You ever feel like God leading you to do something? You're like, I'm not sure how I can do that. You know, I, I, maybe I, I don't feel comfortable talking about it, or maybe I'm not, I don't have a particular trait that would make uh, me a good choice to do this given thing. Perhaps the Lord's laid on your heart to witness to a coworker, but you're not sure what to say, or, or maybe to increase uh, what you're giving to missions, but you're looking at your budget and the, the numbers just aren't adding up, or maybe you want to graciously lead your family, or you want to instill truth in the hearts of your children, and you're just not quite sure what to do. But when we look at Joshua's life, we see that God doesn't call us to do something without providing a means to do it. So if he calls us to teach a Sunday school class, go and teach, he'll provide. If it's witness to lost friends and relatives, open our mouth, he'll give us the words. If it's to stand up for the Lord in your workplace, he'll give us the courage to do so. To increase your giving, he'll provide the money to make that happen. God will never call you to do something without enabling you to do it. And that's the truth. And it's amazing when, when, when people do that and they come back and wide-eyed and amazement that God actually did the thing that God said he would do. And we're shocked. God's faithful. Absolutely he's faithful. If he calls you to do something, he will give you exactly what you need to do the task that he's given you. Every time you need it, he'll provide for it. We just need to trust him. We just need to stand on the promise and say, God, you have promised this, and so I'm going to move forward in confidence knowing that this is the thing, one, that you've called me to do, but two, that you're going to provide the way. Look what the Lord provided for Joshua. One, he provided the land. Uh, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but it was 300,000 square miles of land that God was providing for them. And wouldn't you expect the children of Israel to be eager? Now, remind you, 40 years they have wandered in the wilderness with no place to call home, living in tents. And God said, I'm giving you this massive swath of land. Go and take it. And you would think that they would have been eager to go in and take this land that God was giving them. But ultimately, you know how much of that land they ultimately took possession of? Around 10% around 10% of the land that God had promised them, said, it is yours for the taking if you'll follow where I'm leading you. They decided that, I guess, 10% was enough. But, and if you're like me, you shake your head at that. You're like, well, how, why would they do that? Well, isn't that typical of us too? I mean, stop and think about it for just a minute. We have all these wonderful promises of God and yet we claim so very few of them. Or we, we, we have something we really desire for God to do in, in, our, in our, you know, that we, you know, and maybe that, maybe that thing is what brought you to church. You say, well, I'm having this issue in life and, and I just need God to do something. And so you, your family starts coming to church and things get incrementally better. They get better, but they're not really as good as you want them to be or as God wants them to be but we settle, 
right? Like it's good, it's better, there's, there's improvement. And then it's like we just kind of to sit back and, and we relax a little bit. And we do this all over the course of our life. We, we, we settle for a single victory of battle when the war is far from over. Or we, we settle for just a little bit of improvement. And, and, and it, you know, we know uh, that, we, that there are so many promises and so much victory that God wants to provide in our life, yet we settle for so very little of it. And I've watched it happen time and time again with people who come to church and they come for a little while and maybe their marriage is on the rocks or having issues with their children. They come for a little while and then things get a little bit better and then, and then, then, they, then they, just, they simply just leave. They never experience the full victory that God desires for them to have in their life. For us, I, I would ask this question of us as a church, have we settled in a, in, a, in a victory? Have we settled with where we, you know, where we, we're comfortable here? You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're, we're, we got people in the pews. We got kids downstairs. We're comfortable. Are we settling for a 10% victory when there's a lot more that God wishes for us as a church to pursue and, 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 and do? Are there more people for us to reach? I would say Absolutely. Maybe there's more churches to plant. Maybe there's more people to answer the call to ministry. I think there's absolutely more that God wants us to do. But if we're not careful, we settle. We see God's hand and we, and we love what we see. But we settle for far less than what God really wants to deliver. And we do that all, we do that all over the place. Not just in the church. We do it in our own lives. We, we settle for far less than what God really wants to do. And so he, you know, for, for, for Joshua, he pro provides this land. He also provides protection. To claim the land that God had promised, Israel would have to defeat the seven nations of Canaan. God had promised, however, that no one would be able to withstand Joshua because his, God's power was, was with it. I'll remind you of verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And think about the adversaries you may be facing right now. Maybe it's not a, a person. It might be a difficulty or, or something else. But whatever it is, do you trust that God is stronger and greater and mightier than whatever that particular adversary is that you may be facing? So claim the victory God has already promised you. Listen, if we're in the center of God's will and we're following what he wants us to do, there's nothing that comes against us that will defeat us. Not a single thing. And if that wasn't enough, that he said, listen, I'm gonna provide for you the land, I'm gonna provide for you protection. If that wasn't enough, there's something greater that, that God promises Joshua. And it was his presence. If you look at the second part of verse five, and he says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll not leave you nor, uh, or, or forsake you. Think about this. The, 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 now listen. The, the magnitude of this gets increasingly, increases greatly if we believe the Bible as God's word and we believe the Bible as truth. Now I want you to stop. I want you to just think with me for just a moment. Genesis chapter one, nothing exists. By the end of chapter one, everything exists. And it all happened by the sound of the creator's voice. God spoke 
it happened. Now that's crucial for us because if we can't believe that, then we can't really believe, it's harder to believe everything that comes after that. God knew what he was doing in Genesis chapter 1. God knows what he's doing in 2019. And I want you to just stop and, and just think about this and let this rest on you or dwell in you or whatever adjective you want to use. The creator of the universe, the sovereign God, the one who holds all things together, maintains all things, knows all things, is all-powerful, all ever-present. Ever he is all things. Listen, he is with you at all times. Now, my mind can't comprehend that. It is hard for my mind to say that, to, to, to imagine how God can be all places and, 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 and be with me just as he's with you and, 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 and giving me his protection just as he's given you as we get in our car and we start driving all these places all across our community and our county. But he is and he does. And I can't explain it, but it's amazing to me that here the creator of the universe, who, who the Bible describes being able to hold the whole thing in the palm of his hand, cares enough about me to say, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm faithful. And you know, we can, we can stand on that. Like it's not wishful thinking. It's not, it's not, well, I hope this is true. If there was ever anything we could uh, take to the bank, so to speak, it is that God is faithful. And that we should not be surprised when God's promises come true or when God, when God provides that which he says he's going to provide or God does that which he says he's going to do because he's faithful and he promises us his presence. God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, will never leave us, never fail us, never forsake us. And there are still great victories to be won. Every victory has not been won. Every soul has not been saved. We as a church have not reached every people that God has called us to reach. There are still great victories to be won, and we serve a great God who will not let us down or fail to provide us if we trust him. But there's one more thing I want to share with you this morning, is that we've got to remember God's requirements. You see, God's promises are amazing, but they must be claimed. And he gives Joshua some prerequisites. One is courageous faith. If you look at verse six, he says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So he says, I want you to have courageous faith. What does it mean to have courageous faith? It means that we have so much faith in God's promises that we act on them even when we can't see the future. Even we don't know how things are going to turn out. Joshua couldn't see the future. He did not know what tomorrow held. He, he, but he, he didn't see a single victory. He didn't see the land divided amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. Yet he was confident that God would give them the victory. You see, God's promises are intended to spur us to action. If I do this, then God's going to do this. Well, I'm going to go do this. If I, if I follow his will, he's going to provide. And, and I know that. So I don't stand around going, well, what if he doesn't? Well, there's, that's not a question. He will provide. And so we, 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 we have courageous faith because of his promises. He also wants us to obey. Remember what he said in verse 7? 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. These instructions contain a requirement. Be careful to do according to all the law and don't turn away from it. Don't turn away from God's way of doing things. Now, was Joshua a perfect guy? No, but he made every effort. He tried and he, he, he remembered God's word. And it attached to that. So there was the requirement to, to do according to the law. The, the requirement was attached to a promise that you would have success wherever you go. And, 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 you know, we have a tendency to know the word, but sometimes we think like, you know, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Or we think, well, you know, that was written way back then. But the reality is that we need to know the word and we need to do the word, to obey the word. God blessed Joshua because he had great faith that demonstrated complete obedience to God. But there's also another critically important requirement that Joshua also met. And this is a requirement that we must meet as well if we want to have victory in the Christian life. Joshua saw God's victory because he had courageous faith. He obeyed God, but he also meditated on God's word. Look at verse 8 with me if you would. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is uh, written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. To meditate means to continually think or ruminate, in this case, specifically on the word of God. But why is it so important for us to meditate on God's word? Because as we meditate, we develop this ongoing obedience to God's word. That it's not something, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we read God's word and we say, ooh, you know what, that's really good, I need to remember that. And then the next thing you know, like we're switching apps on our phone from the Bible app over to Facebook and what happens? Poof. What we wanted to remember so intently is now gone. And so what does meditate mean? Meditate means that, I'm, that, I, that I think on that. Now it may not be a verbatim uh, memorization, though I would encourage that, but it may be a, a point in the text. For, for instance, God's provision or God's protection or, or God's, God's, um, God's calling on our life that we pull out of a, out of a group of verses. We say, I need to remember that, that God is faithful. I need to remember that God is good. I need to remember that, you know, that this, here's something that God's commanding me to do and I need to remember that. And then we think about that. And you know what's amazing? That as we think about that over the course of a day, how God begins to open up our minds to have a deeper and, and, and fuller understanding of that very passage. That we're thinking about it and we're wondering about it. And all of a sudden, like, I, I begin to think about how different ways that that may apply to my life. How it applies to my life as a husband. How it applies to my life as a father. How it applies to my life as a pastor. How it applies to my life as a friend. We start thinking about all these different ways. And so we meditate on, on God's word, uh, and we start to live it. But how do we meditate? Well, we memorize God's word so that it's retained in our hearts, and we think about the passage. We, we allow that to kind of filter through our mind and, and allow it to transform us by simply doing what it says. And by doing this, we'll grow, grow closer to God, and we'll discover many blessings that we can't find anywhere else on this earth. Matter of fact, George Mueller said this. He said, the most important thing I had to do was to read the word of God and meditate on it. Thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, and instructed. 
John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court, also knew the joy that comes from meditating on God's word. He He said, the Bible is the best of all books, for it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and the next. Moral decay happens when we eliminate the Bible from our lives because it doesn't take long. If you take, the, if you take God's word out of a person's life, it does not take long for that person to fall into sin or even into a, some sort of a, what we would call a backslidden condition where they're just falling away from the Lord. It doesn't take long. So that's why you, know, you hear us say you know, prayer, Bible study, these, these spiritual disciplines are so important for us as believers as we grow in our relationship uh, with the Lord. The Bible is so much more than just a good manual on life or a form of entertainment. It's a secret to, uh, to victory in everything that we do. So how can we go on for the Lord in such a difficult or broken society? Remember God's calling. Remember his calling. Remember that God will enable you to fulfill his purpose. And don't forget that God has requirements that he asks of us, that he wants us to focus on him and live out a courageous obedient faith and God will give us the grace to continue on for him would you stand with me heavenly father we come to you this morning